him down. And he does to save a touchdown. It was just confusing, but watch Metcalf just flying down the field. And you know that Buda Baker could see him coming in the big screen. He's looking up at the screen going, are you kidding me? What is this trailing me? Welcome to another episode of the Pedestrian Podcast. We come this week with a special guest to help us preview the 49ers game. But joining myself as ever for this part of the pod is Mr. Adam Nathan. How are we, sir? I am not too bad, thank you. It's uh, been a busy week, but all is good so far. Yeah, uh, we're not going to spend too much time on the Arizona Cardinals because it would just make us angry and annoyed and no one wants that in the middle midweek when we're probably going to be in the same situation in seven days' time as well. But the Seahawks lost for the first time this season, eventually in overtime to a uh, Zane Gonzalez field goal, 37-34, I think was the score. I don't really keep track of scores. It's just a lot of points and not much from the defense. Um, like you said last week, Adam, on the pod, that this result will tell you a lot about how this team are going to do, look, if they're for real or if they're for not. But it was kind of the same as the previous five games before. We needed Russell Wilson to bail us out again, bail the defense out again. But this time he made uh, mental mistakes, made some errors and errant throws, and he couldn't pull the... Uh, rabbit out of the hat this week that's basically what it was wasn't it yeah and I think if you're relying so heavily on Wilson to win the game for you then eventually that's going to run out because we said last week it's not possible that every week can see a superhuman performance like we had seen Um, and so yeah you know unfortunately it it all came home to roost um, in an annoying way because so it's funny, I um, had a meeting on Monday morning, so I couldn't actually watch the game, so I watched it back since. But um, when I woke up on Monday, for some reason, instead of just checking the score, I checked WhatsApp, and there were 170 messages on our WhatsApp group from the game. I don't know why I did this, but I just read them in chronological order without knowing the score, so I could kind of feel what was going on in the game almost as if live through WhatsApp. And uh, what struck me was how kind of like inversely seahawky it was, kind of the messages from... 1.20 a.m. or 12.20 a.m. because the clocks until 2.20 a.m. were largely positive and like, wow, we're playing so well. And then from 2.20 until about 4, it was, oh, my God, what the hell are we doing? <laughs> it was kind of the, the reverse of what I call the uh, late night game is. Um, and, uh, yeah, unfortunately, for, for a number of re- reasons, I could have got it over the line. Um, and made, I, I think Sunday will, uh, against the Niners, will confirm one way or the other whether um, yeah, where this team really is at. Because, um, you know, seven points in the last 40 minutes of a game is not really ideal. No, Russ was incredible for the first 30 and completely ragged for the final 39. We'll get on to a career day, but it's a meme, it's a gif. It's now, thanks to Buda Baker being mic'd up, uh, one of the best and most succinct uh, uh, sound clips of the 2020 season so far. The DK Metcalf. Uh, was it 114 yards he ran or something at 22.1 mile an hour he was tracked by next gen stats mm. it's the most remarkable thing I think from a, a football player in a Seahawk jersey it's it was just it's utterly ridiculous to watch like, it, like I cannot get enough of watching it Adam yeah I mean it's uh, as someone said it's in the same building funnily enough it's like the Jermaine Curse catch uh, in Glendale like it's one of those players that had the Seahawks won 
you'd probably see it thousands and thousands and thousands of times. But um, as a result, because they didn't, uh, it's one of those that you almost kind of want to forget, um, you know, just forget it. But yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's iconic play in serial history. One of those that in 20 years time, you'll definitely think back and remember exactly, you know, where you were watching that play happen. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I, mean, I think as for, in terms of like churning yards, it, it kind of, it's kind of like, the uh, Cam pick six against the Panthers, what, five years ago when he just caught the ball, then he was in the end zone for a pick six. It was just, it's it's like someone that big. He's, he's, yeah, he's, he's unbelievable. Obviously, it's not, comes at the end of, comes as part of not a very good play from Russell Wilson, kind of another interception where he floats it a little bit to Carson. But yeah, it's just, it's, I cannot get enough watching it. And the other wide receiver there, Adam, 200 yard day, three touchdowns, just the third wide receiver in NFL history to have at least 13 catches, 200 yards, and three touchdowns in one game. It's as good as it could ever have got and be from number Seahawks number 16. But it's, again, like that DK play, it's going to be somewhat of a forgotten footnote, which is doing a bit of disservice to what to the stuff that Tyler did on Sunday night, Adam. Yeah, I mean, let's be honest. It wasn't just kind of dink and dunk bullshit. Michael Thomas, 15, 15 catches, like on the line of scrimmage from Drew Brees, little dump-offs. I mean, you had the one-arm catch, you had the one in the back of the end zone, I think, with the, with the toe tap. Yeah. I mean, there were some incredible catches in that 15. Um, and yeah, it's just a shame it's kind of consigned to... The, sh- the shit history of the, of the team as opposed to the good one. Yeah, uh, Carson looked good and then got injured and that seems to be a much bigger deal than probably we realised when I mean, you've lived through the WhatsApp group, living through it on Sunday night. Um, it, they're probably likely trying to bring Hyde along slowly. Now he's injured again. Travis Homer is injured and just, he's, yeah, he's obviously not it. DJ Dallas didn't really do much in his couple uh, carries and plays and obviously missed a big blitz pickup in overtime as well. And, uh, I mean, are you flying out to Seattle on Sunday and playing running back, Adam? Uh, well, I think I'm, I'm on the practice squad for, for the call-outs. Um, I've got to pass my COVID protocol uh, <laughs> in order to, to, to get on the roster. But, um, yeah, I mean, who the hell is going to play? I mean, if Brian Schottenheimer is ever going to get a head coaching job that isn't in Seattle, it feels like Sunday could be the the turning point for that because if he gets anything out of a running game on Sunday and then I, I think he, he should go and collect some receipts probably from this podcast as well Adam yeah I mean whether or not he's creative with the pulling enough like to to do all this you know the spreads and the you know the, the end arounds or whatever that someone like I mean ironically the guy on the other side Shanahan probably you know, is kind of running back proof almost. You'd almost wish you had someone like him to call a game where you've got no running backs, whether Schottenheimer can do that. Because it does worry me that the Seahawks look a lot better when Chris Carson's out there yeah. than when all the other running backs play. Um, obviously, the old analytics bit that running backs don't matter. You, you can say that to, to a degree, but I think when Chris Carson plays, it matters versus when the other guys play because they're, they're clearly inferior to him. Yeah. Uh, on the defensive side, I mean, one more thing on the offense. Dwayne Brown is a remarkable human because he's so big, he's getting on in age, but that might be the best game he's ever played. I don't think PFF said he didn't give up a single pressure on Sunday, which is rather important from your blind side protector for your quarterback, but he, he's... It, it, how he playing is kind of going with how the rest of the airline are playing for the most part, isn't it, Adam? Yeah, they've been good. I mean, I guess going into the season, you would have thought, well, this would be Dwayne Brown's last year. But the way he's playing right now, 
wouldn't stun you if you could put another 12 months together after this. No. Uh, defensively, well, well, well. Um, <laughs> Kyler Murray is electric. I mean, Kyler Murray seeing Nock Hopkins <clears throat> one-on-one against um, whoever he's one-on-one against. And Gunnar is uh, rather entertaining. I have a little clip which made rounds on social media, but it's just not good, is it, Adam? Zero quarterback hits, and obviously with that, zero sacks on 50 dropbacks from Kyler Murray on Sunday night. Yeah, I mean, Dunbar really pissed me off in that play. Um, I don't know what it was, but kind of the the body language afterwards, it it was reminiscent of kind of the Kerry Williams awfulness, Um, just like cornerback coming into Seattle with a big reputation on decent money and just kind of, (laughs) oh, well. Not, not yeah. my play. I, it wasn't the reaction I expect to see from a Seahawks cornerback after giving something up. Like, show me something more than just shrugging your shoulders and, and just walking off. That, that really got me. And I mean, that secondary, obviously, the, you know, the, I think the, the the four main guys have played one quarter together or two quarters together. Six, Sixty-eight snaps, I think. Dude, I said. Yeah. Okay. So I mean, I mean, nothing. So you hope that when they come back, it'll click together, but. I mean, there's just so much wrong with with the defense at almost every level. Yeah. Maybe linebacker aside, that it's just it's. Uh, I want to think that there's enough in the team that can take them through to to the biggest of big moments. But in reality, like imagine we haven't even come up against like a great offense yet, and we've been shredded every time we've played anyone. Mm-hmm. So that is a big concern. Did, did I read right in the yards per game with last by fifty three yards per game? We've given up the most yards through six games or seven weeks in NFL history. It's just insane. Yeah, like every every quarterback apart from because every quarterback's past two fifty. There was a th- over a thousand yards on Sunday night from the two quarterbacks combined, and the Seahawks didn't really do a lot offensively in the second half compared to what they did on in the first. But like, like it's just what I said. I think I've mentioned on Facebook as well in the thread I mentioned today. Does this the biggest thing with? Um, not Ken Norton is that there's no one clearly getting better. If anything, they're deteriorating. Like Trey Flowers is just a shell of a human being put out there at this point. His confidence is completely gone. Dunbar is not looking like he did for Washington last year. And his first year as a starter for them, he looked like a completely different player. It's just there's no one improving, which is surely the biggest hallmark you can hold against, hold up for a coach to keep his job and well he's done this for the him you haven't got that with Norton have you my, my thing with Norton is if they made a change to almost anyone I don't see it how it could get any worse <laughs> no. so when you're at that level for me just make a change yeah. just just make a change because uh, it, it's like having like having a shit goalkeeper in a football team like yeah like Adrian for Liverpool for example has been such a car, like a calamity that like you might as well just take him out and put a youth team keeper in because it's probably not going to be worse, uh, and and when you're when you're at that stage, just just make a change because I, I can't see how sticking with it's going to going to improve things much because it's been a year and a half now of not nothing like elite defense. No, uh, but also you talk about we're talking about change. That's the thing that the Seahawks didn't do on defense because like the Cardinals did were putting guards and points and were knifing through. With relative ease in the first half, and they just carried on doing what they did. But we, we put yards up on the, the Cardinals in the first half, and maybe the first bit of the third quarter, and they 
Uh, Vance Joseph dived into his bag of tricks and was blitzing, and he was faking blitzes, and there was getting mean, five five defenders across the middle of the field, so Russ had nowhere to go, and they were changing it up, and it threw the Seahawks offense completely off kilter. Russell Wilson through his interceptions, but it's just like like Pete Carroll is weirdly unprotected with Ken Norton uh, on Monday when he was asked about, it and he, he he kind of said, "Yeah, no." But when he was asked who is calling it who's like basically who's to blame I think was pretty much the the substance of the question he goes well, now uh, Ken Norton's calling the plays I kind of try to stay out of his way which is weird from Pete not to just not even to try and take some of the heat off Ken Norton it's quite yeah it's just I don't understand and yeah I just don't understand what like, like what you said there's nothing that could happen which could be worse than what we've seen for most of the last six weeks it's basically no. three plays. The fourth down stop on Sunday after the uh, DK tackle, and obviously then the, you got the um, Vikings fourth and one and the Cam Newton. That is pretty much all this defence has done this year. Yeah. Um, I mean, it was funny because I think on Pete Carroll's press conference on, when does he speak? Does he speak on Thursdays or Friday or Wednesdays before Wednesday. the game? He, yeah. he mentioned how it was going to be a game, you know, it's going to be a game all about half-time adjustments um, yeah. and it sounded like you know the way the adjustments he made made us worse yeah. um, and he should have maybe just not really changed at all and just started with what he was doing in the first half because that was working pretty well yeah. Um, so yeah I mean it's, it's one of those that I think we looked at that six game six game run and thought you know you probably take four and two uh, in that season maybe even three and three to be honest but having lost the first one you kind of feel like you're on a bit of an uphill battle now with uh, you know, the team that they've still got to play so um, I think it's, it's rocked Seahawks land a little bit more than, than your average loss would have done um, and you know 6-0 feels a long way away from where 5-1 and one feels now to me for some it, reason it does I think the biggest thing with the loss as well is because obviously now we've lost our first game the Cardinals are now 2-0 and in the MC West and the division which is going obviously it's going to go down it's going to be like a death match come uh, mid-December more than likely the 2-0 the head start they've got on everyone else in the division is a healthy mm. place to sit compared to when we're 0-1 and the Rams um, the 49ers are 1-1 one so it's yeah it's just not an ideal start and the fashion of it was not great and it ended on the guy you paid mention to last week because Isaiah Simmons really picking off Russell Wilson at the end of overtime when it seemed destined to end in a another tie in Arizona, Adam. So thanks for that, mate. Yeah, I mean, just shows my uh, tremendous football acumen <laughs> and all the more reason people are tuning in uh, and listening for nuggets and of uh, you know crucial information like that. Uh, the one time I called one right, it's fucking against us. <laughs> uh, the first time the Seahawks have lost under Peak and Russ, having had a four four point at least a four point lead at halftime. They were fifty nine and zero before it, and it also snapped a forty one game run of the Seahawks winning when they had a ten point lead at least at halftime. It's annoying, but being in the building it was in on Sunday, we probably should have maybe did see it coming in some form, Adam. You do just wonder if maybe for the sake of maybe the carbon footprint and health, just take the loss next year instead of even bothering going down there. <laughs> just just take just use another bye week because it it might just cause save so much hassle to just not play the game at all. Take a bye week, 
yeah, you have to pay the players, but that yeah, that's a bit frustrating. But yeah, that's the ownership decision. But you get no injuries, you get a week off, and you get no uh, more like demons in the closet. Like you just sack the game off, or knock down the stadium and move the team. Yeah, I'm not sure we can choose to. Do I that, mean, though. at this point, we surely have enough. I mean, I, I mean, I watched um, the trial of the Chicago Seven. I feel like I've got a pretty good handle on legal proceedings and stuff. We just need to get Frank Margella to be the judge, and it will all be thrown out. Well, I watch Borat, which is Sacha Baron Cohen's other thing, so maybe we can try and interweave that in at the same time. Plant Rudy Giuliani somewhere in Glendale and see if we can make that. Uh, I mean, there's legitimately no... Maybe that's how to make it work. Yeah, I've been to Glendale. There's a strip mall with a, with a tequila bar in. That's, that's all I saw in Glendale. There's nothing there. They'll be fine. They'll live. They'll live. Okay. I mean, yeah. I mean, right, we're never going to go sixty and zero. So your idea works as well. But yeah, it needs something needs to change, and including not going to Arizona would be a good place to um, start. Yeah. So we told that it's going to be quick. We're moving on now, and we've got the Forty ers coming up in week eight. The game, which will be on Sky Sports on Sunday night, and joining us to help us preview that, and uh, probably. Uh, jab us a couple of times after our loss on Sunday. We've got an actual proper Olympian. Kaepernick ends up, Crabtree, broken up, picked up! This game is over! Knocked in the air, intercepted by Smith. Off the hands of Richard Sherman. Now, when the Seahawks lose a game, possibly the one fandom or fan base you don't really want to hear from, uh, the San Francisco 49ers lot. But this week on the pod, we're going down that path and doing so with someone who has done things so few humans in the world can ever say they have done. A two-time Olympic medalist, including the 2008 gold medal in Beijing, a multiple-time, multiple world champ, uh, it's pretty much the upper echelon of sports law, but for some reason, he wants to chat to me and Adam. Uh, Mr. Mark Hunter, MBE, how are, how are we, sir? Yeah, good, Jess. Good evening. Uh, thanks for having me on. Uh, looking forward to getting into some nitty-gritty and a bit of banter. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, thanks for having me on this evening. <laughs> uh, so someone who doesn't really pay much attention to, Rowan, what is a lightweight double skull? So uh, there's two of you because it's a double. So that's the first thing. <laughs> that's a good thing. Um, lightweight means that you have a weight category. So we used to weigh in two hours before competition. Uh, we had to be 70 kilos or 11 stone or 155 pounds, whatever metrics you, you do it from. Uh, you had to weigh in as a crew. Um, and then you have two hours to rehydrate before you race. Um, it's a multi-lane sport. So six lanes, six nations. Um, you progress through an event, so you have heats, semis, and finals, and then obviously uh, the top crew gets the middle lane, and the best crew, when they cross the line first, is ultimately the winner. So, yeah, as, as, as basic as you can get, but it's two people in the boat with a blade in each hand, and that's what's a double skull. If you've watched the boat race, you see people with sweet, which is one blade, which is definitely the easier version of the sport because you've only got one thing to think about. <laughs> so I think in what, 100, nearly 130 episodes, that's the most someone, a listener's probably ever learned on this podcast. 
Yeah, I was going to say, the, the best thing for me is when we have guests that are so much better than us and they thank <laughs> us for inviting them on the podcast. It gets me every time. When NFL players go, oh, thanks so much for having me. Like, oh, no, yeah, honestly, yeah, that's absolutely fair. You should be thanking us for, for uh, you know, wasting an hour of your time on, on a show like this. Um, something that's always fascinated me about kind of sportsmen that reach your level and NFL players is kind of a, a similar, similar thing is that probably being the best sportsman at your school by far to then the best sportsman in your county to then, you know, your region. And at some point you start uh, performing with peers, presumably for the first time in a, you know, it's taking you a long time to, to reach those peers as NFL players do, you know, they go through high school, they go through college where they're, they're clearly the best athlete and then they reach their peers. What kind of feeling is that when you look at someone and think, Oh my God, you're actually as good at this as I am. It's weird because you, when you go into that environment, everybody in that environment is good or the best at what mm-hmm. they do. So you never look at it or think about it in that light because you're competing for your spot to try and get in those boats or as the players are trying to get in the 53-man roster. You know, So you're competing with your peers that you're in the same team with, um, but then you need them around you because they're the ones that drive you to make you better at what you do. Um, mm-hmm. And it is a really weird environment because – everybody's so driven to perfection to be the best they can. And there's not many environments in the working world where you'll ever get that where everybody's trying to be the best they can possibly be. Because if you don't live up to what's expected or what you need to deliver, you'll be cut and you'll be gone. So it's very cutthroat. So, um, so yeah, so I've, this, I think it's the first time I've had a sports on my different sports. So, it, so when you watch the NFL and the things that you you – probably put your body through in the build to Olympics or world champs. And then you see the things, I mean, it's a car crash for three hours on our TV every Sunday night. Does that kind of make you appreciate what you watch these players and people and young people really put themselves through? Differently? Yeah. Cause it's, you know, it's a full contact sport they're doing, isn't it? You know, it's, and I always find it amazing when people try and compare rugby and NFL. And I'm like, well, rugby, they gradually deteriorate with speed. You know, they still hit, but you know where the hits coming from. Well, these guys are running at you from every angle and they're all quick. They're all fast. They're all fit. Um, they get to rest, they recover. So their speed doesn't really deteriorate as you saw on the weekend from Metcalf when he decided to take off. Um, you know, it, it is amazing how gifted those, these guys are in this particular sport and they are the, the, the best of the best, basically. Um, but it's just, yeah, you, you kind of appreciate every sport you watch and it's always, it's not just, what they're doing physically, but also the mental side of things is also a big thing you look for. Um, and I think with the Niners game of the weekend, you saw someone who doesn't have much confidence like Cam Newton, who is really struggling right now. And he has no belief in what he's doing. He's just lost and he needs to kind of regroup in some way. So you look for different things and it's not just the physical side, it's the mental side and all the other things that come into it. Yeah, well, when you have a mental funk like that in sport, is the perhaps the biggest worry that you might never get out of it as opposed to experiencing what the moment feels like at the time? Oh, yeah. Like when you're at your lowest point and things aren't going well, you're not playing well, you're not delivering your performance you're capable of. Um, you know, people look at you to be a leader and you can't, you can't function yourself, so you can't really assist anyone else. Um, it's a dark place. And you see sports people from all different areas go through it. You saw Djokovic in tennis go through it when, you know, it wasn't that he wasn't playing well. He had lost his mental st- stability that he had. And then he went from being number one, he just flopped. 
and then he got it back and then you see how good he is now and you see that with players and it's about how quickly you can recover that so you don't fall into that deep hole um, and then up self-destructing. So, yeah, it's, 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 it's really important that there is someone there looking after them to help them because they're normal people. They might be really good at what they do, but they're human beings. Yeah, that's the thing we see with Russell Wilson quite often. He's always talking about having a short memory, isn't he, Adam? I guess that's something you can kind of uh, see the merits to as well, isn't it? Just like the just, yeah. like short memory I mean, of just like moving on quickly. And, and actually on that, you know, you, uh, you, know, the, you know, 2008, 2012, obviously there would have been a, a stigma about mental health in sports stars, but I would imagine the last 10 years that's proliferated quite a lot. I mean, what was the level of kind of mental care like at, at, at that time? Um, so if I go back to 2004, my first games where I came last, there was none. It wasn't, you know, you, it was the case that you, there's still this thing about you can't show any weakness. We're, we're, mm-hmm. we're more equipped now and understanding about mental health, but there's still a long way to go for people to feel comfortable about talking about it and saying, I need help. Um, but back then I had no help and I really struggled after coming last and then when I went in Beijing, there was no support. Even though you've been successful, you still you elevate to this cloud nine thing. You know, you're just on top of the world. And then the celebrating and everything goes on, and then it stops. And then it's like, what do I do now? Like, you know, what am I meant to do? Sort of thing. So it doesn't matter what performance you do. At some point, you'll have that question. You know, I might need help. Um, and we're, obviously we're talking about it a lot more. It's in the media, people are speaking up, but we're still way behind where we need to be. There's a lot more to be done. I remember when I, I lived in LA for a year, I went to UCLA. I remember I, I met a random couple of people chatting with them. And this is where I thought America was really ahead of us because people talk about their psychiatrist and I thought they were nuts, but they weren't. Mm-hmm. They were actually trying to help themselves mm-hmm. better versions of themselves. And, you know, like you would as a, personal trainer or any sort of coach you have is to improve who you are, make yourself better. Um, and I was kind of uneducated, I guess, at that point. And now I reflect on that and go, well, they were way ahead of where we are when you think about it. Yeah, because I think Jimmy Anderson says that the reason he's still playing at 38, 39 is because he, he's going to miss everything he does in the build to a test match. Was that kind of, that's why he just keep doing it. He's going to do it in, as long as he can as, or as long as he's picked. Is that something you struggled with when you, Decided to step away or were you kind of like... Because uh, I'd, I'd decided to make a decision myself and I knew that I couldn't deliver the performance that I become accustomed to because I was getting too old and I didn't want to be that, you know, when you sit in sport, you got that old guy hangs on and you're like, oh, we should just stop. Um, some people can do it and you see Tom Brady still doing it, but some people can't. And it's knowing that time to pull the, the rip cord of the plug and kind of move on and move on to something else. But... Um, I was quite conscious that I didn't want to kind of be hanging on because it's like my sport is not a glamorous sport. It's brutal uh, with the training you do. You're destroying yourself every day physically. So if you're not in the right frame of mind and you don't feel you can do it, then it's not a fun place to be. And some sports are different. All sports are different in that respect. You know, I was going to say, when you're kind of mentally on that cloud nine um, and you say that at some point that stops, do you realize that you're on it or does it only kind of strike you when it stops if that makes in a way to conflate it with football again Stu and I have always said that when the Seahawks were winning we are winning the Super Bowl we didn't really 
realise the enjoyment. Obviously, this is a fan thing versus a competitor yeah. thing, but didn't kind of realise how brilliant it is as a fan of a team that's won, that's winning and won it until you're on the come down. Did you realise where you were and kind of at, in in the moment? Apart from obviously the the immediacy after you know you, you cross the line. Yeah, it's it's a roller coaster of emotions. Um, but I, I was quite lucky. I had some really good people around me that that helped me um, because it is, you know, you, you're kind of buzzing. You know, you've done something you've never done before. Um, it's been your wildest dream to do achieve something. Um, and it's, it is hard to come back down afterwards. And, you know, how do I need to act? Do I need to be the same? Do I need to be different? People look at me differently. You know, so it's kind of all those things come into play and, just having really good people around you that can really ground you. Um, I was quite fortunate. My my wife now, she was my girlfriend at the time. She was good at that. My friends don't let me kind of get too carried away. They bring me back down. So it's about those people around you really kind of support you. And that support network is so important. Yeah. Uh, so the one reason we've got you on the pod is to help us preview this week's game. Um, you asked us before we start recording our reasons. So return the question back to you why the 49ers so when i was a kid my dad had a antiques business that he he had one part of it in the uk and one in in california and it was actually in san francisco um so i used to go over and visit as a kid so growing up i was putting niners gear um i'd watch the games on the couch as a kid having probably no idea what was going on but i just was absorbing them as a team and when i actually started watching it was the era when I really started understanding it was when obviously Joe Montana, Jerry Rice, Roger, all those guys, and we were dominating everything. So it was quite a fortunate time to be a fan and obviously watch it. And then watching it late, you know, the Super Bowls on channel four and everything back in the nineties. Um, yeah. I was just hooked as a kid. I had bedspreads with Niners, underwear, clothes, all sorts of stuff. Um, so I've been a Niners fan since I was a little kid. What kind of sports team that you support in, in all sports? I'm a, I grew up in the East End, so I'm a huge West Ham fan, but my that is my other passion. <laughs> my other passion is definitely being a Niners fan, yeah. <laughs> so Adam is a Spurs fan. For, <laughs> to explain that reaction. I love it. All that money, still nothing. Mark, I'm not going to come back. So obviously, I guess when you're out at UCLA as well, you closely, I have no idea where I started that sentence. I had no idea where it was. Uh, I guess the close proximity was, that was quite cool. Did you manage to see many games when you're out there? Yes, I was quite fortunate that UCLA is a Division One college and American football is massive at university. So they play at the Rose Bowl. And I remember my first weekend, I started my job on the Thursday and we had recruits coming on the Saturday and I had to take the recruits to the game at the Rose Bowl. And I didn't know where UCLA played at that point. I said to my boss, where are we taking them? They're like, the Rose Bowl. I was like, that's massive. She's like, yeah, that's where we play. And we had to escort the, these recruits out into the field you know, it was nuts. Uh, best seats in the house. Uh, but I, I suppose that's where my um, hate for Pete Carroll started because he was at USC at the time. Um, <laughs> and I didn't really understood, understand the rivalry when I moved out there. And they were talking about USC being the, the you know, the, I won't say what they said about them, but it wasn't nice. Um, and then I was, because I was a Bruin, I, I, I got basically taught to hate USC and obviously with them 
him being their head coach, I just took a dislike into him instantly. So, yeah, so unfortunately, that's part of the reason why I'm not, not a Seahawks fan either. Uh, the, the 49ers in 2020, though, they've annoying that this game comes disappointing if it's back to because they seem to have drank enough Lucas here to get past the, the, the Super Bowl hangover, don't they, Mark? Yeah, I, I don't think it was a Super Bowl. I think it's injuries have been a massive problem. I think that that is, you know, we talk about the Super Bowl hangover. Is that a real thing? I don't know. But I think there's been so many injuries early on and we lost so many big stars. You know, we had a depleted, uh, you know, defense basically. And somehow we've managed to salvage it and, you know, keep rolling. Um, and I think the confidence, you can see it growing. I think that win against the Rams was a big turning point. And then to walk in, you know, in Gillette Stadium and do that to the Patriots, no one does. That's a Bill Belichick. That is not done. Um, no matter how bad his team is, you never roll them over like that. So I think we're in a really good position going into this weekend. Um, I'm really excited about it. It's always a great game, you know, apart from when we weren't so good a few years ago, but normally it's a close game. Last season was two epic games that, you know, up all night watching those because they were just mind-blowing. Um, and then actually that last game of the season last year when we won that, it was it was odds on that we were going to go to Super Bowl. You know, kind of once we were done that, I was like, we're definitely going. Um, and I do think this weekend, I think when I look at the kind of the teams that we've both played, we, you know, we've both played the Cardinals. We haven't really played great teams when you think about it. Um, but the, the big threats you've got is your two superstars, which... You talk about Russell Wilson and uh, Lockett. There's, they're one of the best kind of duos in the sport at the moment, and you can never underestimate what they can do when they need to. Um, and that's what Russell Wilson is brilliant at. So it's going to be interesting, I think. As I said earlier, the uh, Lockett is the third player ever to have thirteen, at least thirteen catches, two hundred yards, and three touchdowns in the NFL game in, in, in its entire history. When something's going on and Russell's struggling, he somehow always is open, especially when he plays us, yeah. and there's a big play happens and he, <laughs> he helps turn the game around. That That is, you know, you've got these unique combinations of quarterbacks and receivers. You see it with, you know, in the era of Meyer, Montana, Rice. You've got Brady and Gronk. They're the two, you know, if he's ever looking for someone, he'll go to him. That's his safety net. And it's the same with uh, Wilson and Lockett. You know, there is a unique relationship there that, they just have this sixth sense. That's what it looks like. Um, and they basically, you know, they are the two that carry your team right now. If you lose one of them, you're done. That's why I kind of look at it. So they're, they're your gems. Yeah, we might have to ask them to play uh, safety or linebacker. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I yeah, I mean, Shanahan is kind of slightly different in as a coordinator, you know, as an offensive mind, because he does like to spread the ball around and, uh, he, I don't feel like he, he likes to have that kind of safety blanket. But the absence of someone like Devo Samuel this weekend, if there was one 49er who wouldn't play, I think even ahead of George Kittle, who you know is just a nightmare matchup, I think missing Devo Samuel might be a, a, a tipping point in the game if there was going to be one that tipped in Seattle's favour. I mean, he's just come on like a house on fire in the last 18 months. Yeah, and I, you know, when he kind of started last year, what, you're never sure when these young players come in how good they're going to be. Um, and he's just elevated himself, you know, especially in his second season. It's just been, well, especially last weekend what he did. Um, and he's a great player to watch because he's so physical as well. He doesn't look massive, but he'll always get an extra couple of yards if it's needed. He puts himself on the line. Um, so, yeah, he is a big loss this weekend, definitely. But I think, to be honest, I think we've got enough weapons on offense to, 
to, you know, to, to cause problems because your defense is, you know, not the best at the moment. So I think normally it would have been your, you know, your rock, you know, the worry would be to play your defense when now I don't think there is that fear element. So it's going to be interesting to see how you contain the other weapons we have this weekend. Yeah, I think the only fair element is Seahawks fans watching the defense on the field. I don't. Yeah, I mean, I think the three of us would have. It. I think the three of us as wideouts could, uh, with Jimmy G, you know, up a hundred yards between us. I reckon against, against the Seahawks defense at the moment. Yeah, and I think it's also going to be because it's you know obviously there's no fans, so you know you're kind of twelfth man that is obviously big. I don't think the twelfth man is as big a deal as it used to be mm-hmm. um, because you aren't as you know dominant at home as you used to be. So um, I think that's going to play a role this weekend because you haven't got that 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 noise that mm. going on behind driving the team. So I think it's going to be quite interesting to see how that plays in the 49ers because they're going to be able to hear now what they're doing and the calls and that sort of thing. So yeah. I think that'd be that'd be interesting how that plays out as well. Yeah, but obviously no Debo, but the you drafted pretty much Debo 2020 version of Brandon Ayuk <laughs> who's yeah. started to emerge the last two, three weeks before Debo got back and then I was he's continuing that which is I mean he had the unbelievable catch against the Rams was it in the end zone the, yeah the end zone he's, I mean it just, it's just a, like a procession Look, it's, he's just yeah. finding them and Shanahan's going to get the best out of him if anyone is isn't he well that, that's a good thing and that's what he's good at he's good at orchestrating plays to help someone you know if, if they're a young player you know give them the ball early let them show their, their skills or what they can do um, and that's something that he's really good at and you know what he did this weekend was phenomenal so I think he'll play a big part this weekend, but I think Kendrick Bourne might actually have more of an influence this weekend than he's had in previous games because of Debo gone. Um, and I, you know, whether you double team George Kittle or he becomes a bigger figure this weekend, but also with a running game, I'm quite interested to see how, you know, hasty plays because I think he could be a real good asset that people don't know too much about. Uh, we saw, we saw, we've seen a little bit of what he can do this weekend, but, I think giving him the ball more would be really interesting how he comes out this weekend. Yeah, so as we record, we currently have no idea who's been the Seahawks running back on Sunday. So that's going to be, it's going to be a surprise to us as much as it will be to you, Adam. Yeah, I'm sure. Alexander's uh, in the running, isn't he? Who? Sean Alexander, Marshawn Lynch. I think they're all coming back. <laughs> yeah, they're all coming back. Warner. Kurt yeah. Warner. They're all coming back. This <laughs> all that retirement. So it'd be, yeah. it'd be interesting. I'm sure Carlos Hyde would want to play, but I'd I think that was that ruled out. Yes, I don't yeah. know, but um, yeah, he's got. Yeah, it doesn't look good. Yeah, and obviously he's said a few things about the Niners that probably weren't nice. Um, so I'm sure the Niners would love to play him, and you know, <laughs> you know, we'll see what happens there. <laughs> Maybe next time. <laughs> I guess if, if there was a question mark about the 49ers, is ironically the guy that's going to be giving Ayuk and Debo Samuel the ball in, in Jimmy G. I mean, the uh, the jury, if it's not out on him, you know, he's obviously an easily passable quarterback. He's not a guy that's going to lose you games, but is he the guy that's going to win you the, you know, the big game? There's obviously the, the ill-fated pass to Emmanuel Sanders that floated five yards over his head in the Super Bowl. Uh, that might end up being kind of a seminal moment of his career, but as a 49ers fan, kind of where, where do you stand on uh, on number 10? Well, I, I think he's good at what he does. Um, you know, this weekend he showed it. The thing is with the Dolphins game, he had just come back from injury. Yeah. And that's the thing that people don't really appreciate when you're injured and you're out. You, you do fall behind. You don't catch up. You're not going to, you're not being better. And then it's a confidence thing as well. And that confidence thing does play a huge role. And I, I don't think we think about that enough as fans. Uh, when we're watching someone, we're very quick to make a judgment. Um, and then you saw this weekend, he was much better. You know, he, he was in full flow. You know, he's, 
had two picks, but they weren't really, you know, catastrophes. Um, it was just, you know, one of those things that happened where, uh, yeah, against the Dolphins, it was pretty horrific, but he had just come back from injury. I do think he, I think he's a guy that could do it. I think when we lost the Super Bowl, that was us playing probably the best offense in the league with the best quarterback that's probably when he comes in every career, as long as he stays fit and healthy, he's probably the best guy that's ever played this game, as we all know. Um, and he was able just to light it up at the right time. Otherwise, we would have been talking about a different story. But when you talk about the pass to Emmanuel Sanders, was that Emmanuel not being quick enough to get that pass? No one's ever said that. Is he a bit older? If he was a bit younger, he may have got that. So, you know, you could flip it the other way, basically. Um, but I, I do think Jimmy G, you know, the, the, he's our captain, he's our leader, he's our quarterback. Um, and you've got to back him. You can't have all this underlying negativity. It doesn't help anyone, especially someone of his stature who's got to be helping lead the team. But if you do, if they're going to do it, the quarterback's coming in with Fields and Lawrence and the rest of them, it's the year to do it, but please don't. Yeah, I mean, you kind of hope those quarterbacks going to end up in Florida and New York and well away from San Francisco and hopefully away from, you know, hopefully the, the Rams don't realise what they've not got and Jared Goff and move on from him because that would be, a, we need to keep him in the division for as long as we possibly can. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, I, presumably, Mark, you, at the moment, you're not even thinking about a new guy in the centre next year, even though from what I believe, the dead money is minimal if you did want to move on at the end of the season. Yeah, I suppose money will always be a factor um, in the sport because there's so much of it and they want to use it wisely. But um, I don't think you should be thinking about those things at this point in the season. You know, they're in a they're in a good position now to keep kicking on and moving forward. And if you start talking about those sort of things now, then it could derail things and then it could be a very uncomfortable and not enjoyable season. So um, I, I don't think there's any rush to think about those things because they have no impact on the here and now that's something for after the season's done if they want to look at it um, and obviously time will tell with the performance this season but right now I do think he's the guy um, I just believe in Shanahan's playbook and if Jimmy follows it then we should be fine yeah and the NFC West is unfair it's really really brutal unfair. that's the word <laughs> brutal uh, on the defensive side uh, I don't think the Sherman's not back still, is he? No. So that, that familiar face won't be there. But Jason Verrett is poss- could be bargain of the of the free agency season because he was ridiculously good until his knees gave out in San Diego slash LA, and he seems to have carried that over to the Burgundy and Gold for San Fran. Mark, yeah, I think you know it's you saw in the Dolphins game when you sent someone from the practice squad out with prep. <laughs> um, it's hard to kind of elevate themselves and then you sort of Rick come in and the changes that he's made and what he did against the Rams was brilliant so um, I think I think uh, Quan Williams is back for this game I think which will be a big impact as well and I think as we start putting those pieces back into place um, I think you'll see the team get stronger as long as we get no more injuries but I don't you know trying to work out which is the most banged up team with injuries the Niners have to be way up there right now. Yeah, we're just running backs and Jamal, isn't it, Adam, pretty much? Yeah, and obviously Daryl Taylor, Alton Robinson, we're not sure about his health. But I mean, you know, all the, you just expect it. Expect but, this. But I mean, one yeah. player who has really flashed for, for the Niners last week, especially is, uh, in fact, I think it's the Battle of the 54s because Fred Warner has been just an unbelievable yeah. player uh, for the Niners. And yeah, I think... Um, 
who was it? I think it was Romo doing the commentary last yeah. week, and he said that Fred Warner was the best linebacker in the league. And normally that would cause Seahawk fans to go into a frenzy. And in the olden days, it would be Panthers going into a frenzy about Luke Keekley. How dare you show disrespect yeah. to the guy that I love? But I wouldn't make an argument against it. I, I, Warner's just been, you know, an unbelievable leader in the middle of that defense, hasn't he? Yeah, and I think, you know, because he obviously played really well last season and, you know, him and Greelaw kind of, I don't want to say got overlooked as a combination. They're so good together. And you saw that play they made at the end of the game, which obviously helped us win at the end of last season. Um, Warner is just, he seems to read the game really well. And every so often you have these players on defense that just seem to be a step ahead of everyone else. Um, and he's just, yeah, he's just, he's on the mark all the time. And when Romo was talking about it, as a fan, you do take some pride from that. It's a weird thing. I don't know why. You get really upbeat and say, yeah, he is one of the best. And, you know, with all the talk with D Ford and Alexander, you know, we've got these two gems that I don't think we give enough credit to already out there, which is, you know, kind of Warner and Greenlaw. So I do think Warner is definitely one of the best in the league um, because I'm a fan of the Niners. I can't say the best because that would be, you know, just blowing around trumpet really. But, you know, it's good when commentators pick it out, especially Roma, because when you listen to him, he is one of the best at doing his job as a commentator. It's a shame he didn't deliver as a player to, to win the big things. But as a commentator, he is, he's like Gary Neville when you watch football. I'm not a Man United fan, but they explain it so well and pick up on things that most other people don't see. Mm. Um, and that's why you enjoy listening to them. Yeah. It, it, it kind of shows how important, how like, uh, how in depth they go when yeah. they do tape study and stuff. Cause it's, I mean, he probably, he probably never faced, no, he never faced Robert Salah's defense, but he knew every nook and cranny of it because mm. he's seen so much game tape. But so, how, are you confident for this Sunday, Mark? Or yeah, I am actually. I think we're going to go up there and win. I th- my gut feeling is it's going to be about thirty to te- uh, thirty to twenty. I think we're going to. Yeah, I do think it's going to be a Niners win this weekend. I think we're on a roll from the last two games. Um, I think the way you lost this weekend by being 10 points up and then getting, that's not the way you lose. Seahawks don't lose like that. Normally you're the team coming back to do what the Cardinals did to you. Um, so it'd be interesting to see how the Seahawks regroup from that uh, because, you know, you had two and a half minutes left and you were 10 points up. It looked like a done deal and then all hell broke loose basically. Um, <laughs> so I think it'd be interesting how you recover from that um, and equip yourself because it's too divisional back to back-to-back games, which is really challenging. That's really yeah. hard. So yeah. I don't think people think about that enough, that those divisional games are harder than when you're playing teams outside of your division, especially, as you said already, the West is you know, it's the toughest division probably in the football at the moment. Yeah. Um, like The thing with Sunday, I think we probably touched it already, but that building is legitimately cursed, Mark. Like It's legitimately... A cursed patch of grass, isn't it, Adam? Like, yeah, I mean, well, it's, it's funny actually. You mentioned you know losing by ten points because if we if we need some experience, we can always come to the 49ers because they did lose a ten point lead. Five <laughs> to go to the Super Bowl, so we could always. Ask you, you've you've waited to get over a loss like that. Of course, you've waited. Yeah, tw- I mean, you've, yeah. you've waited twenty five minutes. Out, you've waited well, twenty five yeah, minutes. Standing. <laughs> <laughs> forget people don't forget I've been stuck in my craw so you know I get a little jab back in but um, yeah I mean obviously Glendale is just a place where you, it needs to be knocked uh, down there's, there's nothing yeah. it's going to die 
uh, in all ways. It's just the, the run of stuff that's gone on there uh, is just unprecedented. So I think I'm, I'm hopeful more. I, I, the 30 is a good number, but I think it'll be the Seahawks on scoring 30. And I think the nine is, it's always close. About 30, 27 to the Hawks in this one. It may be uh, a bit of Jason Myers at the end uh, knocking one through, or maybe it's uh, obviously the Seahawks completely failed on a, on a last minute drive. And maybe this is the time where they finally make a stop um to, to end a game which yeah the, again it is massively overdue yeah i mean it's it's likely that the niners could win on sunday and still be fourth in the division i yeah. think <laughs> it's just the most ridiculous and it's what not even and this this is a re- with both teams like this is a really important period we're both coming into now so the next yeah. four games will just set the tone whether you're yeah. in or out this season <laughs> they're, they're big games coming up and this is the big opener really for the next couple of weeks yeah and so it'd be interesting to see, you know, how this kickstarts someone, keeps them progressing, or rattles the cage and then it, it falls off the rack. Yeah, I'm not that confident on Sunday. I'm confident that Russell Wilson won't throw three interceptions. Again. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not confident that the defence will look anything close to what they've looked for for the first six weeks. No Carson is going to be an issue. I just, and yeah, Shanahan, man. He makes. I don't think there's a coach in the league, maybe McVeigh, because coffee's garbage. But a clear difference to the team as Shanahan makes to to the Niners is just. It's, it, I mean, like look at the Falcons since he left that place. Matt yeah. Ryan kind of looks cooked uh, on certain certain occasions, and he's just he's just ridiculous. And so while he's facing a team which has kind of got injuries, especially to Chris Carson, that's a massive one. Jamal Adams is not ideal with how you attack teams with the flop passes and the end arounds and all the rest of it it's yeah it's I'm not very confident on Sunday yeah I, I, and also our defence has been playing really well the last two games so you know we kept the Rams quiet and what's everybody that? was talking about them being the offence on fire like what's like what's watching a good defence like What's watching a good thing? Well, you just watch yeah. the Niners play. <laughs> yeah, I, 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 rem- I remember it. I, I remember days of ta- tackles I've, and picks, but they, yeah, they ring a bell. I have brief <laughs> memories of uh, a safety on the first play of the Super Bowl, but not much uh, in the Super Bowl. Well, oh, that was Super Bowl 48, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah. That was, I, was at, yeah. I was at that Super Bowl, unfortunately, oh, wow. watching wow. the Seahawks. You were at the Super Bowl? Yeah, so I've, done, I've been fortunate enough to go to three now. Um, mm-hmm. I went to see the 49ers with the Ravens, uh, which was my first ever one, and that was mind blowing. Was yeah, I, I, I was invited by the NFL, so that's when know, the lights went out, when it went yeah, yeah, yeah. So it was, it was an extra hour of socializing and drinking, which uh, was great. <laughs> um, but no, it was, it was an amazing experience. Like New Orleans is an incredible city, um, and it was just party central for three days, it was amazing. Um, and then we went to the one in New York where the Seahawks won. And the best part of that was actually watching the Chili Peppers, Red Hot Chili Peppers play at halftime. Um, so that was good. Um, and then I went to Super Bowl 50 in, uh, at Levi Stadium. So that was like the last one I went to. So, um, yeah, it's it's an amazing event. And obviously it was heartbreaking to watch the Seahawks win at Super Bowl. <laughs> well, the one mate of mine who used to be a 49ers fan, he was in New York that weekend as well. Which was 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 quite enjoyable. Uh, that kind of like coincidence, but yeah, because it was that, the game that also been worried about the snow. Yeah, and it didn't snow, yeah. and literally as soon as the prize giving finished, 
and everybody left the field, it started snowing instantly. <laughs> it was amazing. And then obviously, but we're trying to get out of New York the following day and there was snow everywhere. It was it was mental. It's yeah. the one thing they're worried about. <laughs> yeah, well, uh, Cliff Avery was, we had Cliff Avery on the pod in May and he, he mm-hmm. told a story about them being stuck on the tarmac and what an uh, unnamed Seahawks player running up and down celebrating completely butt naked while they waited for the snow to clear. And That's that cloud so. nine, see? Cloud nine. <laughs> <laughs> cloud nine. Yeah, I, was in, uh, I was in Seattle for the game because I had a hunch earlier on in the season they were going to be in the Super Bowl and I wanted to be in Seattle for it. So uh, Richard Sherman saved my, saved my trip with, with the tip, obviously. Um, yeah, and uh, yeah, I think it was. It ended up being colder in Seattle than it was in New York. Funnily enough, yeah. Do you know I was because I was I was skiing during the championship game in Austria, and I was watching the game, and I had my tickets and everything because I was I was going as a guest in the NFL again for that one, and I was like so excited because I knew whoever got from the the NFC was going to win. They were just going to roll the Broncos. Um, and then obviously when that happened, oh my God, so <laughs> gutted, so gutted. Uh, well, uh, one more thing before before we get on to our usual uh, shtick, Adam. Uh, obviously this year was supposed to be Olympic year and obviously we talked about like the mental space you get into. That, that must be really difficult to kind of put all that on a back burner for another year for everyone involved, isn't it? Yeah, it's, it's going to be really interesting how athletes react to it you know we talk about mental health you know have they been okay through this process and i think it is going to be a case of the ones that have dealt with it best and looked at it as a positive of things they can work on things that they didn't have time to do mm. it'll put them in a really good position where the ones that look at it as a massive negative it's just going to play on their mind constantly and before they know it if the olympics do go ahead um it'd be on a it'd be you know it'll be here and they won't be ready for it mentally. So I think it's going to be really interesting. I think you will see some different performances with people that maybe weren't expected to win, win, and ones that were expected to win, not win. Um, and also people that everybody was telling them, you know, another year you'd have made it. Be interested if any of those people can step up and, you know, challenge the ones that were meant to win. So it, it's going to be interesting. It won't be the Olympics we know. Um, I think with what we're seeing with sport, um, there may be no fans there. It may be just athletes doing their thing and then leaving. Um, so it's going to be interesting what happens, but it's going to be a challenge for those that were looking to do it this year and then retire. Um, and then to try and mentally keep going for another year, knowing that you're a year older, maybe not physically as good. And can you still deliver to do your performance when it's needed at the Olympic Games? From a training perspective with that, obviously you probably, I don't know how long the cycle would be, but under the impression that you would have a, a, like an X number of year cycle where you are building up your physical condition yeah. so that when the Olympics comes around, you are in peak, peak condition. Mm-hmm. If you add a year to that, what happens with that? Well, obviously there's no, no one knows, but no. what, you, what, what do athletes to do with that year? Like just almost stop and then go again or just kind of maintain at 60% to then have the same bill? Because presumably you can't be at 100% for a no. year. Well, th- I think this is going to be really interesting. This is, comes back to those that get it right and get it wrong. Um, because, it, you know, you work on a four-year cycle for the Olympic Games, so you're trying to peak at your week of the event. So it's over 16 days, but my particular sport was in the first week, so you're trying to peak in that first week of the Games. Um, and I think it's going to be interesting. With the, you know, This is where the coaches are going to earn their money. You know, can they get someone to come down and build them up and do a mini season within that – sorry, a mini 
is it a mini Olympiad in one year in some way? You know, how do they get their athletes in the shape again next year? And you've seen some athletics events where people have been breaking world records. You know, it's because this is the year they were meant to be in top form, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's, it's not surprising that's happened. And they've had more rest than they probably would have had. So they're, they're ready to go, basically, rather than doing all these smaller meets. Um, but it will be really interesting with the, the systems and programs that get it right with getting their athletes to peak next year when obviously they were meant to have peaked uh, a couple of months ago. Yeah. Are you still involved with that side of it or are you kind of just... No, I don't do any coaching. I do some mentoring kind of stuff, but I don't do any actual coaching. Um, I don't do any run anymore. It's too hard. Uh, <laughs> I try and do other sports, other activities to try and stay you know, fit and healthy and do some exercise. Um, I enjoy watching it. I enjoy other people being successful and, you know, my having my opinion on view and how they've done it and what they could have done better as we all do as fans. Mm. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm a, I'm a fan now, which, you know, I enjoy watching the sport and, you know, hopefully a British team can do better than they were expected if it does happen next year, because it wasn't looking great for our rowing team for this games, but with another year, maybe there might be some better performances that were anticipated. Cool. Uh, one more thing on the game. We always try and do a wild take wild prediction. Um, we're one for 14, uh, 12 so far this season. Adam uh, predicted that David Moore would score a touchdown and he did. So what was your wild 49er slanted uh, prediction hot take be for Sunday? Oh, you've caught me now. I need to figure out. <laughs> I've got nothing. <laughs> we'll give you a second to think about it. I'm going to go for, as a wild hot take, a Seahawk linebacker pick six. I'm going to go for a wilder take, a Seahawk quarterback hit. Seabat. Because <laughs> <laughs> we, didn't, we didn't touch Kyler Murray. It took you a while, Mark, but you, you got there eventually. <laughs> 50 dropbacks Kyler Murray had and zero Seahawks even bothered to touch him. I'm trying to think of a good one now. I'm doing absolutely useless right now. I think it'd be unique to watch Jimmy G run for a 25-yard touchdown. There you go. Nice. Ah, yeah, nice, nice. Um, one, one of my friends who's a Giants fan has been uh, squawking about Daniel Jones being the best running quarterback in the league all weekend. So, because well, he fell over, even though he fell over the yeah. seventy-nine <laughs> yards before it, he's taking his thing. Uh, Adam, spin the bin. Uh, right, this week I'm just going to start with Seahawks. Benson Mayowa, why were you trying to jump over the field goal unit when it's a fifty-two-yard field goal, which is in that stadium, hit and miss when it's 22 yards, let alone 52. It's just a, br- I mean, it's a brain fart of massive consequences, really, because it kind of, when well, three points to seven points was uh, rather large, Adam. So, yeah, Benson, it's been good, but sheesh, sheesh, Adam. Yeah, that wasn't ideal. Uh, my one's going to be, um, I mean, the Falcons have it bad enough for me to be piling in on them <laughs> additionally. Uh, and the, the Lions, in fairness, have it bad enough as well. But, I mean, grey is an all-time awful <laughs> uniform, as the Seahawks proved on Sunday. But I, I don't know if any of you guys were watching Red Zone or what you were watching on Sunday, but I couldn't watch the Falcons game on Sunday with uh, the uniform colours. And the turf in Atlanta has got like a silvery hue to it. So it, it looks like it's grey. And then the Lions' horrible uniforms, the Falcons' awful uniforms, in addition to the level of just terrible football that was going on in that game, it was just the most awful watch. It was like, I don't know what someone's done there, but whoever, they need to change the turf immediately because 
it takes an eyesore to it. It, it. it makes the Seahawks neon green look fairly palatable, and that is going some. See, I, I, I quite like those Falcons uniforms. Oh, no. I it's don't amazing because like they're, they're both, the Falcons did theirs this year, and the Lions do theirs last year. So they've yeah. spent a fortune oh, on their man. uniforms. Yeah, I mean, I mean, the only we team shall is- make it, we shall make it grey. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, the only team who's nailed their, the uniform the last couple of years is the Chargers. I mean, that is just the best. And thing. the Browns. Uh, nah, the cha- nah, I mean, I'm a Cov fan. Sky Blue is king. So it kind of helps massively. But they're, they're, they're in, I mean, the bone colour for the Rams is just, it's weird. It's like, yeah, it's like yellow and white have run together. It's mm. very strange. Uh, Mark, any, I, I prepped you. I think I'm going to go with Cam Newton's dress set. <laughs> where he's playing so ah, bad. nice. <laughs> so when you're playing well, wear it. When you're not, don't wear it. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, he is like he looked like the he looked like 2015 Cam Newton in week two. Adam, understandably, because he was against our defense, but uh, yeah, he I mean, he looked broken on Sunday. Yeah, I mean, to, to Mark's point, he might just want to take a pair of tracksuit bottoms with him, just, <laughs> just in case there's a there's yeah. a catastrophic loss where he gets benched for Jarrett Stidham. A, a brilliant moment in that game actually was um, Scott Hansen uh, panned to uh, New England ago, and I think his thing was, and now to Jarrett Stidham's New England Patriots, and the the uh, the, fir- the play they showed was the centre standing on Stidham's foot and him just turning around and just falling over, <laughs> and it just kind of summed up the whole game and the whole day, and. Um, you do have to enjoy the Patriots fans' tears because um, they just don't understand. It's a bit like Man United fans who don't yeah. really understand what real what real fandom's like. It's like this is what it's all about. Sometimes it's their rude get, awakening you know, now. They're finding out, yeah, yeah. exactly yeah. how tough it can be. <laughs> yeah, it's great. It's great. Yeah, because it's like, it was New England first for Belichick on Sunday. The first time he'd ever lost by so many points. First time he's been so far under five hundred in X amount of years. It's yeah, and then like I said, they're going to get a, a very good quarterback more than likely coming into the draft next it's inter- uh, year. It's so interesting. Then you look across, and then you've got Brady and Gronk for the Bucks. Mm. I mean, you know that that is a dangerous team. They are going to get better and better. They are very. You don't want to be playing them late in the season. Yeah, defense is flying. Uh, yeah. Devin White and uh, Levante David is yeah. It's just it's not. Yeah, right. they've got they've got everything basically. So yeah. and they're. Their receiving core is just phenomenal as long as they stay healthy. Yeah, uh, and or and now out of prison. Yeah, it's true. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I mean that's I mean that's the biggest relief of the week, wasn't it, Adam? Antonio Brown. Uh, yeah, I mean, him, I mean, I I think uh, our friend Rob State made a good point that um, the Seahawks still tried to sign Antonio Brown, and as a result, it's still fair to call in. You know, the ethics uh, are still highly questionable, and that's probably been worthy in its own right because. Um, yeah, I mean, I you know, you just can't. It, it wouldn't have been a signing that I could have stood up for anyway. And I'm very pleased that he has gone elsewhere. But it is probably worth saying that ethically, they still tried, um, which does stick in uh, stick in my throat a little bit. Not, it's not only that they tried; it's that Russell Wilson was the cheerleader for it, and Russell Wilson mm. every other turn has been pretty, well, completely on the other kind of road side of the road. To, everything which Antonio Brown kind of brings with him but yeah it was I mean that press conference was weird and very disappointing from Russ last week as well that's it that's interesting that when players do want to use their social media and platform to talk about things sometimes they forget you know 
one they want to sit on a more high ground on one side and then just to suit their knees right there and they flip it and then forget about it. And I think that's where they sometimes get that wrong. Yeah. Um, but it is an interesting decision that the Bucks have signed him, especially seeing Brady actually work. Did he work with him at the Patriots? Yeah, yeah. 10 days. After there, he was gone very quickly. So, yeah. um, but it, uh, Bruce Arians was his was Brown's OC in Pittsburgh when he came into the league, right. and they did not get on. I don't think. Well, no one got on with Antonio. So Brown. this could be another short term thing. <laughs> it might, yeah, it's. I mean, Bruce Arians saying it was something him and the GM have been talking about is the biggest lie uh, Bruce Arians has possibly ever uttered into. Well, could that be the thing that dismantles that team? Because that team is starting to gel. You have someone yeah, who's yeah. got a massive ego comes in like that. Um, Sometimes it works. Sometimes it can make a mess of things. Yeah. Uh, NFL, Adam? The Michael Thomas situation in New Orleans is getting quite strange. And I wonder if there might be a trade on the offing there. I mean, the guy's got the record in the NFL for catches from last season. He's He was healthy. He then hit a teammate. He then was still healthy, but pulled out and, and didn't play last week. And I just wonder if there's something that's not quite right there. And in a team that probably would have seen this as their last year of a Super Bowl window, um, you know, Drew Brees is almost certainly going to retire at the end of this year. Um, I wonder if all may not be well uh, in the Bayou. And, you know, it'd be great to have a team like that out of the equation for the NFC, I have to say, because they look like potential juggernauts going into the season. Yeah, there's, there's sort of very definitely the way they've handled everything with Drew Brees' last year has been a bit weird. I mean, their defense isn't what it was a couple of years ago. Um, Taysom Hill is their backup, legitimately their backup quarterback. It's, I don't understand their approach. And then Drew Brees, they're not really doing, I mean, uh, if it wasn't for having come out, that team would probably be nowhere near playoff contention. And just like, now they're trying to alienate their one player for 2020, 2021 and onwards, Mark. Which, yeah, he is, he's the best wide receiver in the league. It's as simple as that really, isn't it? He's, pretty phenomenal what he does um, and for him not to want to be out there uh, if he's eligible to play and he's fit and healthy um, there's definitely yeah and the thing is you never know you want to be a fly on the wall don't you, you want to find out what's going on um, but if things aren't happy that will disrupt their season massively because he is such a weapon they haven't got him um, there's only so much Kamara can do on his own um, you need Thomas there as well. So it'd be interesting to see how that role, that pans out. And um, if he does end up leaving, he won't be on the market very long. <laughs> no, no, I mean, I, I don't see anyone giving up. Look, he's, 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 he's only signed a contract this summer, didn't he? Yeah, so, I think so, yeah. I have no idea what they're doing down there. And obviously, another uh, Dallas Cowboys are kind of realising what how much they really need to pay Dak Prescott if they're going to pay him because boy, that was. Well, I mean, I, I know I know Andy Dalton went out, but when you when you get like an, a guy who sounds like an extra in The Godfather, it's not it's not a great look, and it didn't go very well because Washington not like a capable American football team, Adam. I mean, their front seven was always going to be competitive, but. Um, you didn't expect um, Kyle Allen to be able to put together a game plan to beat a team that, again, you know, at the start of the season, a lot of people would have put the Cowboys as the NFC's representative in the Super Bowl. So, I mean, what's going on there is just carnage. But I think when you are a team like Dallas, when you, you know, with the amount of attention 
you're you're a boom or bust franchise at all yeah. times, really. I yeah, mean, yeah. even the days of eight and eight are out the way. It's either you know it's it's shit or bust every year with them. Let's be honest. So it's no surprise that when the wheels fall off, the wheels and the axle and the suspension all just come crashing to the ground, and uh, it, it just is falls into devastation, which you must particularly enjoy, Mark. I have to say, with the the uh, eternal rivalry between those two franchises. Yeah, because I just hate. The, the classes of America's team. I just freaking hate that. <laughs> um, but yeah, obviously you, you don't like to see what happened to Dak happen to anyone. Um, but as a team, I, I love it when they're doing badly. I take great <laughs> pleasure out of that. Um, because, you know, they, they are one of those arrogant teams, you know, it's the way they operate. Um, and you're bang on the money if they are a, they're either red hot or they're absolutely useless. There's no in between. And um yeah, it's a, it's a shame what's happened to Dak there, and I do hope he gets his payday because he deserves it. Um, but oh, that was just horrific what happened. But, yeah, I'm loving them not being very good. But the problem is they're in a division that's so poor that they could still make it. That's a frightening thing. <laughs> yeah, I mean, because if all four NFC West teams are in that division, they'd already won the division. It's, just, yeah. it's insane. <laughs> uh, yeah, Mark, as we say, uh, before and as I said before, when you agreed to jump on massively do appreciate you coming on and uh, crowing for an hour about the 49ers and I mean you, you didn't bring up the Cardinals game for the Seahawks on Sunday as much as I thought you would so I appreciate that as well I didn't want to hurt you too much um, <laughs> because you know it was bad you should have won that game as simple yeah. as that yeah. um, but then again when you're playing Murray and you got Hopkins together which is just a deadly combination and you saw against the Niners they ripped us apart um, yeah, so yeah, I didn't want to kind of press the buttons and maybe feel too <laughs> this week's going to be this weekend's going to be worse for you. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, so if if it goes to Seahawks way and they have a functioning defense, where can people find you to uh, throw uh, mercilessly for the next six weeks until we play you again? Isn't that what social media is for? Exactly. <laughs> so yeah, so where can they find you on social media? Yeah, just mark under GB on Twitter. There you go. You, you can bombard me there, but <laughs> I'm guessing it'll be pretty quiet because I know it's going to be a Niners win, so that'd be fine. <laughs> oh, two wins and this is what happens. Uh... Put, that, put that down on the freezing cold takes uh, yeah. account for sure. <laughs> that would be great. That would be great. Uh, one, one note before we go. Uh, one note of praise. Uh, Mark, you live in the London area and about two years ago he did this to me so I'm going to do it to him. Um, we've obviously seen all the stuff with um, Marcus Rashford and all the stuff he's done but the guy at the bottom of the screen has done something pretty incredible and something he should uh, be very proud of himself for. So I just want to quickly explain to Mark Adam what you've took the mantle and took the baton on doing. Oh, I mean, look, yeah, I'm in event catering is... Uh, the one listener we've got to the show will know. Um, and uh, obviously the event catering industry is not, not the best. So we're on like a, basically a takeaway business now. We, uh, we made a few meals to give out to school kids and we've, we've given all 300 meals out uh, in the last couple of days, which has uh, been very humbling. Um, yeah, it, yeah not, not something I expect to talk about, but um, <laughs> quite, quite weirdly emotional talking about it. <laughs> no, I've I found it, you know, obviously we've been, been giving out the meals and just talking to, to mothers that are looking for meals to kind of help their kids through a week has been um, quite, a, quite a difficult thing and not something I expected. Uh, catering, everything's 
celebratory and, and it's happy and talking about great moments of people's lives, weddings and things like that. And um, to be giving food for, for reasons like this has been uh, quite difficult, actually. And I think my whole team have found it um, quite emotional. But look, we've done our bit and someone like you know, Marcus Rashford for, for a young kid to have the idea and do what he's done deserves all the praise in the world. Um, mm-hmm. Political, but um, what he's done, you know, he's been an inspiration. You know, ten years younger than me, and found him incredibly inspirational. So we should uh, for having the uh, the guts to go out and do what he's done because it's an, it's an incredible venture. And seeing the hospitality power, I think, uh, an indication of, of what a great industry I'm, I'm lucky to, to work in because um, people are struggling in the industry as well, and they're still helping out. So it's it's uh, it's been very cool to see. Awesome, make amazing work. Like, yeah, it's well, it's can't really explain what you know what you guys are doing um, to support those young individuals. Because I, I worked in a charity a couple of years ago, and being around families that you know don't have anything, um, and talking to kids where the school is their safe place that they get fed and that sort of thing. So, um, yeah, it's, it's really changing people's lives of what you're doing. So, hats off to you, mate. That's amazing. Really amazing. Appreciate it. Appreciate yeah, it. As, as I said on Facebook, good people do doing good things. But yeah, if you want to get involved with the podcast, you can on all the usual means and methods. Again, Mark, massively do appreciate you coming on and uh, chatting with us for an hour or so. But until next time, this has been the Pedestrian Podcast. Go Hawks. Uh, we're nowhere we want to be. Um, we have to play better. We have to execute the plays better. Um, we have to be more consistent. We have to find a way to get off the field. Uh, we can't put the offense in the situations that we put them. Uh, we can't make the penalties that we had to extend the drives. We have to find a way to get off the field. Um, we're not where we want to be. And uh, it's going to take some focus and some this point you just got to make your mind up and say you want to play good defense period